0: Welcome back to another exciting episode of Inspiration Point. I'm Andrew, and I'm Adam. Let's uh, let's see how long this this goes without me running into technical
1: difficulties. Yeah, we we both had a couple of hiccups trying to get this going. Jeez Louise, man! I just but that's just the devil trying to make sure that it doesn't work. And the devil can't keep us down. No, no, no. I I sure hope not. now demons perhaps but devils no you know screw them both yeah you know
0: i you know put that that's a back of the box quote baby
1: uh-huh (laughs) uh-huh um so how was your week sir
0: my week's been going good um work has been kind of ramping up a little bit again um and this time i'm trying to work on a few projects at the same time. So that's been kind of, kind of nice. Like for the longest time, I was very, um, I would hyper-focus where I would, I would stick to one project and just do nothing but
1: that one thing. Does this allow you to kind of jump between interests and kind of reset for each one?
0: Yeah, a little bit. I've been... Just kind of, uh, you know, I'll let my brain rest on one thing and think about That's good. the other thing for a little bit and, you know, do a little bit at a time. And with yeah. the the shorter days that we're on, it kind of helps break things up even more. So it's been, it's been nice. One of the things that I've been working on, I won't give too many specifics on, but it's a, uh, sequel to good old spectacular settlements
1: oh all right that sounds exciting it is exciting is Uh, it called moderately fine settlements yes no i figured it out i was excited for that because i was like you know this is a pretty good book but everything's a little too spectacular for my taste we need some mediocrity in here yeah i mean i mean there's letdowns in real life Let's have them in our fantasies.
0: <laughs> you know, it's it's the
1: opposite of the power fantasy. We
0: need to mundane this up a little bit. And just... You
1: roll a 20 on the chart. It's like, you were almost wealthy, but then you weren't. Wah, wah.
0: <laughs> wah, wah. We actually find a way. You, you, you make just type the, it in. You make the book like those, those uh, birthday cards that make <laughs> sound when you open it. But you find a way to attach it to the role result.
1: Uh, One of my favorite SNL skits ever was Debbie Downer. (laughs) I loved every episode of Debbie Downer. It was just... I loved it because like, (laughs) not even the cast could ever keep it together because it was just... It was too much all the time. It was great. And
0: and Rachel Dratch just does that like... Uh,
1: Irreplaceable. Irreplaceable.
0: Just perfect deadpan she'll just stare down the barrel of the camera and just uh, let her soul
1: leave her body <laughs> i mean as much as she can even if she kind of cracks a little bit but uh, that adds to the fun a little bit you know it's not too, yeah. it's not obnoxious well there there's some of
0: those cast members who just who just could not like jimmy fallon jimmy fallon would break in like every single skit he ever did. Yeah,
1: yeah, he uh, did. That was pretty obnoxious. But he's a he's okay at uh doing the um the host thing. Oh yeah, he's he's pretty solid for that. I think better uh, than Kimmel. There, I said it. Oh man, shots. Hey, like, d- he I mean, he talked crap about gamers, so he can go straight to hell.
0: What? He yeah, did?
1: man. Like his most disliked video ever is him basically trashing on esports. Wow. I know what a jerk, man.
0: Who does that?
1: Who thought you know, who was who else is surprised he's a jerk after the man show? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Okay, I guess no one's surprised. Okay. That's, um uh,
0: I, I almost forgot that was a thing. Yeah. Um well, let's forget about that as quickly as possible.
1: Yeah, let's do that. Um I'm fine, by the way. Thanks for asking. I was going to. <laughs> I got sidetracked
0: by the man show. But uh anyway. Speaking of man, how are you, man?
1: Hey, all right. You know what? That was a good recovery. There you go. I'm down. Um, Yeah, I'm having a good time. I I think uh, my experience this week is a little similar to yours in that I am trying to find balance in my life. I'm Hmm. trying to make my job my new um, sort of let's try actually moving around lifestyle and dieting and trying to spend more time with my kids and trying to do more D&D stuff. You know, like, it's all kind of starting to come together.
0: That sounds like a lot of more.
1: Well, yes. But that's because I was putting... You know, it was a lot like you, actually. Like, oh, I must do one task at a time. And I cannot mm. stop this task. Uh, I cannot pause it for later. Uh, I must... F- complete I gotcha. and and that's like especially when you make your job your first priority you know, which i think a lot of guys do right that's that's kind of our mo you feel like you have to you feel like you have to you're like I'm, I'm gonna let everybody down if i don't if i don't deliver yeah but you know you know that that look your wife gives you when you say i have to work and when your kids need you for something yeah. And that that's a terrible feeling. You're like, great, here I am working. Hoo-hoo. Yeah. I'm, I, you know, as if I wasn't feeling rough enough. Yeah. It's just, well, you know, what can you do? So you, you really just got to find balance. You have to pick battles. And I find that when I do, I tend to work faster anyway. Hmm. You know, if you're happy, if you're in a good mood, like you're just going to be more efficient. Yeah. Like, like you don't need to just pile in hours so you can say you did. I mean, yeah. you got to work hard, but at the same time, like I've been trying to force myself to like get up and just go walk somewhere. Just, yeah. you know, go walk around the house, go walk around your work building, you know, whatever you got to do, just get your head clear. Yeah.
0: It's, you know, something that, that I, that I've tried to do a little bit and have been very unsuccessful at is trying to just completely clear my mind and not be thinking about anything to try to just like let my mind go blank. And I'm pretty sure that's
1: impossible without dying.
0: I, well, I mean, without like just thinking about, uh, you know, like meditating, like just focusing on your breathing or focusing on very, very basic simple simple things yeah, i'm always that, that's thinking what you're supposed about to do. thinking about game or work or family stuff or you know and it's like my yeah brain that's called stress stops. bro
1: that's stress oh.
0: <laughs> well if that's stress that's that's been my life for a long time <laughs>
1: yeah well let's see how long have you been a father <laughs> oh yeah there's that all right and you know that's kind of the the beginning right keeps you busy it does that's for sure um i like to think of my children as my alts right like my my tunes the characters i play
0: yeah it's character creation in real life
1: so like your oldest is like your main oh sure and then you get alts and then one of them might become your favorite i mean you don't tell the others And then you always have one extra that's the mule that holds all the gear for everyone else? Nah, man. I only got two. (laughs) Okay, so you have a mule and a mane. Got it. Nah, they they both co mule. Oh yeah. Uh, Is your wife gonna listen to this? Is that why you're saying that? (laughs) Well, yes, but also You know. See, see, with my wife it's different. She's like, Yeah, I already know who the mule is. Oh goodness so uh yeah yeah
0: well um speaking of mules who's first tonight
1: oh i thought that was going to be a, a drinking segue i was excited, oh uh, ooh, i could that, go for a
0: moscow mule
1: oh yeah i mean oh, not moscow because that's for commies but i would definitely do you know an irish or uh oh Kentucky. man i Uh, I, my favorite's actually mexican tequila instead Mm. really yeah oh man and it lends itself there's this restaurant i go to they do this uh mexican mule and they they grind up like some jalapeno and cilantro in there and it's it's fantastic
0: whoa man and and that's with the still with the ginger beer yeah
1: ginger beer and tequila and and uh and bitters Um, holy moses Oh my gosh. Oh, it's so great. And especially with their their carne, they've got this chimichurri sauce. It's just perfect.
0: Dude, uh, that that sounds like it would clear your sinuses right
1: out. It really will, but it's also oddly refreshing.
0: Oh yeah. And the that's why I love the the Moscow Mule cuz if you use like a good like top shelf vodka, it's so like just crisp and clean. And then you if you use like um You know, you do like a, even like a shaved slice of ginger actually in the drink with some Mm -hmm. like muddled mint. Holy smokes, dude. On a hot summer day,
1: hits the spot. On a hot summer day, man. I do like that stuff. That is, that is really good. Yeah, dude. And and we have had some
0: hot summer days recently. Yeah. Good Lord. Oh yeah, it's been brutal. How hot has it been down by you? I mean, you're in Arizona, I mean it's it's so regularly
1: it's regularly in the hundred tens <sighs> uh, these days. Yeah, it's God. it's been it's been pretty bad. And, and you know, of course, I picked this summer to start, you know, walking. There you go. So you're you're it, just
0: doing Bikram yoga just the second you walk out the door.
1: You know, back. You know, should be like a high school wrestler and, and wear a trash bag and a sweater and <laughs> yeah. see if I can make weight. There you go. You just like.
0: Sweat out twenty pounds of sweat, just I'm sure sweat. that has no long term repercussions oh sure <laughs> i'm yeah that sounds definitely healthy i mean i there was a guy uh i i won't say his name on here because we avoid doing that sort of thing, but good guy used to run our uh the uh he was our tech guy at uh when I was working my first game industry job um wait jesus back in 2008 (laughs) it's been a minute it's been a little while so anyway this guy anyway he uh he told me that he like never gets sick or rather like he might get sick but he never stays sick because the instant he feels something coming on he told me his strategy is to put on like two pairs of sweatpants a T-shirt, two sweatshirts, and like like a wool freaking ski hat or something like that, and just burn it out. He's like, I'll just sit there and sweat lodge myself overnight, and I wake up the next day, I feel like a million bucks. I'm like,
1: that that sounds like abject misery. That sounds like it's gonna work out until it really doesn't, and you don't wake up. <laughs> man you just he's like i just cook it out man i manufacture the fever i was like not me man i'm I'm all about that nyquil life and comatose <laughs> just That's, knock me out i i don't want to deal with it at all so i just hey and then say see you in a couple days dear so um <laughs> yeah who's starting this week with their inspiration points regarding role-playing games
0: regarding role-playing games well if uh if i mean i think guys, drinking's
1: relevant but you know
0: well you know um, i'll start i i've been i've been hyping this up for a while so i'm going to oh, right yeah, i'm going to yeah, dive yeah. right in i guess um, my inspiration point if you will is uh, the book yeah, slash blog called the monsters know what they're doing and this is the book and the blog are made by a guy named Keith Aman. Uh Last name is spelled A-M-M-A-N-N. And his website is themonstersknow.com. And uh, a lot of the content that is in this book can also be found over on his website. So if you're interested in this stuff, you don't necessarily have to go buy the book, though you should. And uh, may have mentioned, or not, I'm not sure, but it is also an audiobook, which is how I went through it, although I did pick up the physical book as well, and it is really nice. Like, this thing's like like an inch and a half thick, too. Like I things.
1: think this was one scenario where I would have preferred to have had a book. Um, I listened to the first part on audiobook, mm-hmm. and and then I stopped listening to it after um listening to a couple of monsters because I was like, okay, this is really more of like a, a book reference. You know, like I could go back through when these monsters come up in my campaign. Yes. And I could I could say, okay, uh Keith, give me some advice on on running, you know, Hydras or whatever. Because, you know, he there's a ton of chapters. And it's, they each it's
0: huge.
1: And yeah, it does feel like more like blog entries because you know you could just skip and go to whatever you need to listen to
0: yep it's it's really it's nuts the the audiobook itself actually is broken out into the individual monsters too so it's really really easy if you wanted to jump to whatever specific monster you were interested in at least if I think if you're using the audible app, I'm not sure.
1: If- yeah. And the, and the audible app has like each chapter is the name of the monster. So it very convenient. It, you don't have to like look up. Okay. Chapter one's about this chapter. two's about this. So that's very nice. So yeah. next time, yeah, I run bug you know, and I, I'm like, okay, I've got game tonight and I have to go to work. You know, I could very easily load that up and just get some extra insights. Exactly.
0: So, um, I think the, uh, I mean, I, I was writing, uh, I was writing down some notes and stuff for this to make sure I came seemingly prepared, even though you know that's never how we do things. Um, but I've got a whole litany of things here. Oh, wow, litany. It's a good word. One of the first things that I would say about this book, having I. I listened to the whole darn thing from front to back.
1: That's crazy.
0: (laughs) It is a massive amount of content. The amount of work that went into this and just the thought that Keith put in blew my mind. Like this guy was thinking more deeply about monsters than
1: than I ever had, which like I. Well, he thinks deeply about monster strategy, I would say. Yeah. Because there, there are ways, because, I mean, you ran a, a goblin campaign a couple of times, mm-hmm. and it's been a big fan favorite for, for those involved. Yeah. You know, it's always like, if someone can't make it that night, we're always, like, turn to Andrew and we're like, so goblins? You know, <laughs> like, is that a possibility? And I think that's because you go to a depth differently than that's, that's than true. Amon does. Um. um. This is very much about strategy yes. and about tactics and how they would probably behave.
0: Yeah, I mean, it It definitely is pulling from he, he is looking at the entries that are in the monster manual for D&D and going, what can we extrapolate yeah. from the information that is in this book? And, I think
1: the keyword there is implication. Yeah, right? Yeah. Like okay, what he's got a, a lot of the monsters only have one or two skills. Right. And so it's like okay, well what what do they mean by this? What is the intention?
0: Right. Um and he he looks at a ton of different different factors to to figure out okay, this is how this monster ought to behave in a realistic fashion based on the statistics and abilities that this thing
1: got. Um, By the way, this makes no bearing on what the character's like social behavior is. I mean, it might speak somewhat to like their battle hierarchy or, or I don't know. I guess there's some hints to it, but I know that there's been a lot of sensitivity lately regarding, you know, um, the inherent nature of orcs, let's say. Oh, sure. And I would not say this book goes down that line as much. It's more like, here are the battle tactics. Right. Or um, they'll,
0: you know, general general kind of maybe cultural attitudes, but it never goes as far as saying, like, these guys are objectively evil, unless, unless you're looking at, like, demons, you know, <laughs> demons or devils, <laughs> where, like, you know, there's no Fair arguing enough. that. Yeah. Yeah. So there are a few uh things that he uses to kind of set up his whole approach that i thought were a big big deal and they were in this section that precedes the actual monsters in the book and it's mm-hmm. a section that's called why these tactics question mark and he had a few points that really really stuck with me and the first one was survival the fact that the vast majority of creatures will flee if they reach a certain threshold Mm -hmm. most most creatures their their ultimate goal at the end of the day is survive make it out of this situation alive somehow um, yeah, that's
1: a nice juxtaposition to what typically happens in a D and D game, where everything fights to the to the death, no matter what. Right, and including things like animals, which makes pretty much no sense. It does not
0: make a lick of sense, exactly. Yeah. And his uh, his second thing that he laid out was what he called the 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 creature's ability contour, and straight out of the book, it says it uses the term. To refer to the pattern of high and low scores in a creature's stat block and how it defines that creature's overall approach to combat. So, what I have here is a few different things, like uh, a creature with a an ability contour of low low decks chooses what it um, chooses its battles carefully because they can't easily get away. ...from a fight because they're slow. Uh, small, low-strength creatures compensate with numbers... ...and when their numbers are reduced enough, they run. Low-con creatures stick to range and or hiding. High-strength, high-con creatures are brutes... ...who like to be, you know, up close, right up in melee. High-strength, high-dex is like a hit-and-a-run uh, shock attacker kind of uh, kind of role... And then high dex, high con is more of a steady, uh, moderate damage skirmisher. So you can apply these ability contour profiles to pretty much any monster you run into. You look at these creatures that, you know, and you see, okay, what is this thing physically capable of? Where it's strong suits and then you lean into that which is pretty cool
1: in the beginning of the book he references um x <laughs> yes he does which i thought was funny because i i can remember being very frustrated by that game yeah um you know and he he mentions that he was very bad at it like he would always die um and at like most strategy games he would just be destroyed i completely felt that and he was like why is it like this and then he had to like go in and and find out why that was and 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 that was kind of like the beginning of the inspiration for the blog and i suppose the book Mm -hmm. was just hey survival's kind of important tactics matter right because most of the time we you know especially if you play like a lot of role-playing games Mm -hmm. most role-playing games allow you to just compare power and then you don't really have to do much strategy like a lot of jrpgs especially are you know you grind until you can win yeah um you know there may be some like okay exploit this guy's weakness but then it's you're still basically just comparing power right you know uh, world of warcraft requires raid strategy but it's still like you have to be sufficiently powered powerful to even try it right but in a game like xcom it's it's almost entirely based on decision making yeah i mean it, be, it and becomes a like, like a like a big elaborate like puzzle and i think we we carry a lot of our inspiration from whatever we were playing before and for for some people the inspiration is books for a lot of us it's video games let's face it yeah and so depending on what kind of video game you grew up with you may approach combat very differently yeah that's i will true. say though that like i think that he doesn't get into and maybe this is just not his purview but he doesn't like the low intelligence stat is sometimes just there for comedy gold in my opinion <laughs> Like the monsters survive because they populate well, not because they're particularly good at it. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you do want some monsters that run into your swords, especially at level one. You know, if you're trying to give your players something fun or easy to do, not every combat needs to be Navy SEALs. Sure. And, you know, again, I don't I know that's not really his goal, but. I wouldn't say that following this book is the be all end all approach to combat. Mm. You see what I'm saying? Like I'm you know, sometimes you do want the monster to make mistakes. Sometimes you do want, you know, especially an NPC to act irrationally, uh, especially if a player has picked up on a a character flaw. Oh, sure. You know, something like that. Or, you know, sometimes goblins are just funny and we can just enjoy that. Yeah,
0: (laughs) I I think. What, what I was taking from this was I, I never got the sense that you couldn't do that or that he was ignoring that. I, I was just feeling like he, he set up a very effective framework of, of how something with a given set of stats is capable of acting.
1: Yeah. I'm not, I'm not denying that at all. So yeah, I,
0: yeah that's that's how I was feeling about the intelligence and the wisdom side of things. Actually, those are two points that are in the book that I actually did want to take a second to actually read. Because okay. I think that these are the two things that um, or a couple of the things that stuck very, very closely with me. And I, I felt like they influenced a whole lot of other things. So bear with me i'm going to i'm going to read these two bullet points straight out of the book and these are out of the the why these tactics uh section so first bit is about intelligence a creature with intelligence 7 or less operates wholly or almost wholly from instinct this doesn't mean it uses its features ineffectively only that it has one preferred modus operandi and can't adjust if it stops working. A creature with intelligence 8 to 11 is unsophisticated in its tactics, and largely lacking in strategy, but it can tell when things are going wrong and adjust to some degree. A creature with intelligence 12 or higher can come up with a good plan and coordinate with others. It probably also has multiple ways of attacking and or defending, and knows which works better in which situation. A creature with intelligence 14 or higher can not only plan, but also accurately assess its enemy's weaknesses and target accordingly. A creature with intelligence greater than 18 can do this to a superhuman degree, detecting even hidden weaknesses. I thought that was incredibly interesting because it gives you as the GM this kind of concrete way of going okay this monster has this amount of intelligence so it this is about how how smart it can be in a given situation how adaptable it can be yeah um, and there are a few monsters in the books that in the book that have such high intelligence, where he basically straight up says, these creatures, from the DM's point of view, can read the PC's stats. It can look at this guy and, and see what the, you know, a 20 in strength represents, and go, okay, I'm not going to target that guy with things that target strength, because it's not going to work on him. I can tell that this guy dumps statted wisdom. And if I have something that can target that, that's what I'm going to hit him with. Yeah. So I thought that was really cool.
1: Which is nice because a lot of high intelligence creatures tend to be a little squishier. It's not always true, but uh, yeah. some of them can be. And I think we've all been in that scenario as GMs where we bring out our big bad and then they get obliterated. <laughs> Sure, Uh, Because the creature might have 20 intelligence, but mine's about a solid 11, (laughs) Um, you know, so I'm doing the best I can. Um, I don't know if I'd go so far as to say they can read your stats like verbatim, but, um, you know, like, especially rogues should be able to have something hidden, you know. Um, But yes, they should be able to understand that they can avoid the tank and spank you know um, well like strategy and and not to attack the barbarian head-on like
0: what would you say a rogue could hide from something that is that observant like
1: well yeah because while the rogue they're like okay that guy's running around he's got a cloak and leather armor and he's got a rapier you know or something like that he's probably going to he probably has some knives or whatever but you know a good rogue might be able to wield a wand they might have that hidden away that you don't expect. Uh, they may be setting up a distraction that, you know, can't always read.
0: Sure, but this this is more saying that they can
1: just read their their well, you, overall I, you capabilities. <laughs> oh, so, yeah. No, I mean, they should know to an extent, sure. Like, they should be able to look at armor and say, well, that is probably not the thing I want to attack that on. Right. But I I don't think... I would go so far as to say he can read the character sheet. I mean, maybe a 20, right? Like maybe. Yeah. But like, we need to, you got to be careful too, because you can't just make it impossible for your players to strategize at all. And just like, you're sitting there listening to their conversation. You can hear how they're strategizing. And you, I think it would be unfair to say, well, my character has 20 intelligence. And so he just, you know he just knows everything um because then i think you create the incentive to not strategize as players and then they just they just want to compare stats at that point so i think you know yes i 90% agree 90% but just you know be a little careful i'd say that's yeah. all i want to add
0: yeah i i i i don't i don't think that it's saying that it that it knows their strategies and
1: stuff i i'm Although some strategies are transparent and sure. you should be able to read some of it.
0: I, when I, whenever I've seen the, seen them say like it can read the PC's stats, like it basically stops at ability scores. Like, oh, okay, like the beholder knows like, okay, that guy over there probably has like a high constitution. So I'm not going to shoot him with my constitution save IRA, i'm gonna shoot him with something that he probably can't Can't handle and then if it turns out that he does save against it
1: although i think you're supposed to roll at random but yeah
0: sure (laughs) but i mean depending on how how you want to use your beholder um sure but if he realizes oh you know that guy saved against the decks, uh shot that i did at him i'm not going to use that on him again because right clearly that didn't freaking work so i'm not i'm gonna try something else yeah so i thought that was cool um yeah but i i do get what you're saying and i i would never say like oh they can read they can read the pc's minds they can just get a sense of like oh this guy's probably
1: strong yeah. here weak here yeah so, unless they had literally have read mind <laughs> y- yeah in Reed
0: that thoughts. in that case go freaking nuts
1: go crazy you know and that could be interesting i you know i did play one boss character in a in a past campaign where he was obsessed with the pcs mm. and had studied them like batman oh yeah and, yeah yeah you know what fight i'm talking about yes and, i do he comes in, and I, like, literally, like, made a document and went through priority order, like, turn one, cast the spell, turn two, this yep. is the character, this is the target. And it was awesome. I, I, I got close to, to beating you all with my solo boss, Yep, and but I didn't. I mean, I didn't really want to win, all right? but, like, I did want it to feel impactful, I, and I think that's usually our goal is you know we don't want to get spanked but we also don't want to make it impossible right you know especially for a, a big pivotal character moment we wanted we it to feel big yeah yeah so absolutely agree so i thought that worked well and yeah it, i was like this guy has every reason to know what their character sheet more or less says yeah and and so i'm like okay i even worked in a little bit of like player knowledge into the strategy Mm. i know this guy will overthink the problem Mm -hmm. and so i'm going to give him a simple obstacle yeah there you go and this other person i cannot hit his ac at all ever but that con saves not so great (laughs) yeah or
0: you know you use something where even even a uh, a successful save still deals half damage And then it just becomes attrition. Right. Yeah. That's another way to go Yeah. Yeah. Or
1: even using character problems like this person will leave if I threaten their loved ones. Yeah. There you go. You know, stuff like that. And I think that was one thing I had worked in where I had successfully distracted someone away from the fight so I could deal with them later. That was Um,
0: it was it was really good. It worked out really well. And I think that the way you approached the fight with that uh, with that villain really kind of fits, um, some of the, the approach that's here. Um, not, not necessarily the, the, to the extent of, oh, I'm going to freaking study the, the PCs for months, but the, you know, being able to really kind of tailor their approach by, um, by figuring out, okay, this this is the tool for the job depending on what uh target you're dealing with right i thought
1: that was really cool yeah and then it was even more satisfying when you guys overcame him and and killed him ultimately right so it felt a lot more earned you like uh, you love a good fight where everybody like sighs at the end yeah <laughs> you know yeah. like Whew, we got through it we lived yeah by you know the hair of your chin yes indeed
0: So here's, here's the second point. Um, Okay. A creature with wisdom seven or less has an underdeveloped survival instinct and may wait too long to flee a creature with Hmm. wisdom eight to 11 knows when to flee, but is indiscriminate in choosing targets to attack a creature with wisdom 12 or higher selects targets carefully and may even refrain from combat in favor of parlay if it recognizes that it's outmatched. A creature with wisdom 14 or higher chooses its battles, fights only when it's sure it will win or will be killed yeah. if it doesn't fight, and is always willing to bargain, bully, or bluff if this will further its interests with less resistance. Right. That i thought was really really great because yeah it also uh gets into something i um i'll touch on just after this but when wisdom determines how a creature goes about engaging and knowing when to stop engaging and that wound up being a massive running theme throughout the entire stinking book. It, uh, it mentioned... He also says, uh, I consider a creature that's lost 10% of its average hit point maximum to be lightly wounded, 30% moderately wounded, and 60% severely wounded. I use these thresholds to determine whether a creature will flee or otherwise alter its behavior or attitude toward its opponents, except in rare and specific cases, such as trolls using the loathsome limbs variant rule, which uh, is something that I was not aware of, but apparently it's when trolls have their limbs lopped off and the limbs stay active and keep doing stuff, which is, was a total trip to learn about, uh, they don't affect what the creature can do. So this basically brings me to my biggest takeaway from this whole book that creatures should run.
1: Yeah, or surrender, possibly, like especially for NPCs.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: By the way, this is also kind of a carryover from Forth. Yes, Um, the
0: the bloodied state, right?
1: Yeah, the bloodied state—that's what I use. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I, I instead of doing eighty or ten or whatever, I, I just do fifty, and that's it. Yeah, and yeah, that's that's one of my favorite concepts from fourth edition. Um, and a lot of times what I would let players do is roll intimidate or something against a bloodied intelligent creature, mm-hmm. and say like, "Hey, surrender." And then they they very well might do that depending right. on right the player's reputation or whatever. Yeah. And then, yeah. So I, I really like that. I like that. Yeah. Uh, the other reason I like it is because, um, combat can sometimes drag (laughs) sometimes it can go long and that's right where I was going. Is it? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I'll let you, I'll let you go then. Well, I, I was
0: as, as I was reading, like he actually breaks down that, uh, an average encounter lasts about three rounds. With two to five being typical, um, which is sure. which is generally relatively quick, unless you've got a boatload of guys. Um, yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> but um, <laughs> fleeing or surrendering enemies can allow for a number of super impactful things. F- yeah, first being that it literally shortens the number of rounds that a fight goes on. Because mm-hmm. the targets try to leave or end the fight earlier than when they get to zero. Which is like freaking perfect. Um, second, it's, it's natural. It makes things feel natural. Because fighting to the death is a pretty dang crazy thing to do. Surrender or fleeing makes a lot more sense. And it helps the, the creatures generally feel a lot more believable. Third, more exciting and more rewarding. If an enemy flees, you still give the PCs the experience for the encounter. They won. Whether the yeah, targets are agreed. no longer living has zero bearing on whether they learn or grow from the fight, right?
1: Yeah, no, totally. 100 percent So you 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 won. <laughs> e- exactly, you won. That's that's what really matters. For- what you want players to make role-play-based decisions, and if you if you tie experience points only to death, then they'll just make mechanical decisions. And that's not interesting.
0: You're like reading my mind.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, is it any surprise at this point? The, I, I suppose it's not <laughs> Um,
0: like the, the fourth and fifth things that I had written down here for this was that it also promotes less killing because oftentimes PC parties have a lot of generally good aligned party members. And generally speaking, killing things is something one would imagine a good being would try not to do. If the targets stick around and fight to the death constantly, it makes sparing lives much harder from a game standpoint.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting point, because, you know, like comic book superheroes, like, almost never kill people. Right. They a lot of them have strict codes of, of non lethality. Yeah. I, I mean you,
0: Batman. You know, that's Yeah, one Batman,
1: although he'll give you severe brain damage, but he won't kill you. You'd be surprised what you could live through. <laughs> uh Spider Man's my favorite example. He's probably one yeah. of my favorite superheroes.
0: He'll he'll just web you up and leave you for the
1: cops. I love Thor, but he will totally kill you. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, when you're being hit with with a god hammer and or and or being struck <laughs> with lightning. I mean, those aren't exactly pulling your punches yeah. kind of moves.
1: <laughs> you're right. Spider-Man does lend himself a little bit more. But then like so we read that comic and we're like, yeah, Spider-Man, you're right. You're you're right. Venom shouldn't kill people. Yeah. And then anyway, he starts D D game. Well, my lawful good paladin uh executes all the goblins who have like, surrendered. Whoa. Like, whoa, dude, chill. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So I I like that. So here's here's the fifth thing
0: that fleeing opponents brings to the table, and this is a big a one. fifth element, you might say the f- the fifth element <laughs> plot, which we which we heart. Um,
1: oh, plot, plot. Right.
0: If the targets flee, <laughs> that leaves the GMs with more possibilities and options. The opponents it really does. could spread the word of PC's prowess. They could stalk the PCs and target them at a more advantageous time, therefore creating a game of cat and mouse. They could strike a deal with the PCs. They could swear an oath of vengeance against them. There are any number of ways it could go, but this is the big thing. It takes a situation the PCs were directly involved in and allows it to have greater impact on the world. By having something or some things out there who fought the PCs and lived to tell the tale. And this can also create recurring NPCs, be they villainous or otherwise.
1: You know, and if Andrew kills your Dragonborn fighter, you can then come back as your next character. As a character, your Dragonborn fighter spared. There you go. And that can be really interesting. And then you end up liking that character way better. (laughs) <laughs> and then and
0: then I cancel the campaign forever.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm still sad about that. I know. Why do you make me care about characters? I, you
0: know, it's... Some GMs yeah, no. really get off on killing their PCs.
1: I get off on abandoning them. <laughs> <laughs> wow. You're the lottery ticket dad of D&D.
0: That cold-blooded, baby. <laughs>
1: Oh, my God.
0: (laughs) Enjoy sitting out in the ether being forgotten.
1: All right. Well, no one is listening now, so we might as well say (laughs) anything we want. I, yeah, no, I love that idea because I think some of our really memorable encounters with bad guys have resulted in sparing lives. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, They're also a good way to illustrate, you know, player morality and their character. We have a character in the current campaign that I'm running who early on would execute anyone for wrongdoing Mm -hmm. and has totally turned around to uh, be quite merciful and to have completely reevaluated her her religion and her morality. This is the one I've
0: I've uh, pointed out a few times in earlier episodes that have made a big change. That's the one, yeah. yeah.
1: So I, you know, and and I think everyone's enjoyed watching that process. It's been really, really good unfold. Yeah, um, highly, highly recommend that kind of mechanic. Yeah, it that
0: like the more I thought about this, because that's one of the biggest beefs I have with D and D is like we have in our head these ideas from books. And movies and TV where fights are these intense, fast, punchy things th- where it's like nonstop adrenaline. Like it's the climax of the crescendo.
1: And in D the climax of the crescendo, there you go. Interesting. I, 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 that one froze my brain. Sorry. Keep going. Sorry. Um, <laughs> where with D and D, It's like the opposite,
0: you know, it ever like the, the RP, all the talking, the story development, all the plot stuff is like engaging you and moving you along. Boom, 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 boom. And you get this pacing, you get the intrigue, you get all this stuff. And then the fight rolls around and everything like grinds to a halt and everything slows down. Everybody's doing math. Everybody's looking up powers. Or, you know, ideally you're not looking up powers, but sometimes there's a lot of stuff to manage or, you know, it's, it can be a lot to follow and everybody's different in terms of like what you're actually capable of remembering and stuff. But, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of bookkeeping and that sort of stuff that needs to happen in the fight. So having the fight feel like it's that fast and that effective and intense can be really difficult and just having this heavy implementation of as a rule creatures will not fight to the death unless they are like compelled to do so or literally have nothing to lose like in in the book um They talk about cornered or something. Yeah. Or they they talk about like undead, like the undead have died already. So they're not scared of death. They what drives undead is not a survival instinct. It's compulsion. They have a master or something that's pushing them to do a thing. Same with like constructs. Like they have their, you know, their prime directive or whatever order they last received. And they're going to carry that out because that is why they exist. They exist to do that job. Right.
1: Yeah, that makes sense.
0: But if it's a pack of wolves, they're like, oh, man, we're getting smacked around, you know, attacking these people was a bad idea. We're going to we're going to bugger off because (laughs) this ain't going well, you know, Um, and boom, right there the the encounter moved faster because you showed the wolves who's boss so mission accomplished and you ran them off so you're feeling good and you still get your xp you know maybe the only thing you don't get is a wolf pelt if that's really what you were you know out for but generally speaking you still made that impact on the world you still accomplished something and the combat only went on as long as it needed to go on to serve its purpose, right? Yeah, so yeah,
1: I, I dig that you know. I uh, superhero movies sometimes, you know, and I love them, yeah, but sometimes they they make me kind of shake my head a little bit. Like, even in uh, Avengers Endgame, mm-hmm. right? You have this huge battlefield, Like it's so cool watching this big scaled battlefield every uh you know going on yeah all the faceless characters get killed you know like uh you see tons of like thanos minions get destroyed you see his, oh yeah the the members of the black order are being killed you assume that probably some wakandans and like sorcerer oh yeah sanctum guys Any, die anyone who's who doesn't go into the fight with us knowing their name and that and that drives me crazy that the only person that dies is tony stark spoilers you know and then we all have to stop and and watch that happen and we all have to mourn it it's like okay well what about like the, like thousand other dudes that probably died yeah also no other named characters get killed which is a little it just silly. feels
0: a, a bit hard to hard to yeah,
1: you know, so we we do this thing where we selectively treat death like a big deal. Right. And then at other points where like, oh, it's nothing. It's part of the game. Right. Right. So.
0: Well, and I with with especially with superhero movies, but, you know, all this kind of stuff, like it gets pretty difficult if you're if you were constantly being forced to mourn like. Here's another death. It's going to be heavy again. Yeah. Like Well,
1: that was that was that was sort of Game of Thrones, right? And and that yeah. created a lot of drama. Yeah. And, until everyone had plot armor, right? And then sure. it really kind of killed that drama for everybody cuz we're like, okay, so we're we're going to kill people when it's time, but we're we're not going to punish people for making mistakes like we used to. Right. Um like it really felt like a game in the early seasons. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, I don't want to get too off track.
0: Right. It, but yeah, you know, the, the stakes are important. Um, and, and it's, it's, it was neat to me to, to see how, um, how big of an impact something as simple as have the thing run away could like all the different things that that can do, just things get shorter, things are still as exciting there still is rewarding. They you get additional plot options like that's really, really cool. And it's something that had never really occurred to me before, especially in terms of like the, the scale of impact that it could have. Like, I would say like a good 90, 95 percent. I'm holding up the book as if people can see this. Um <laughs> Like 90, 95% of the monsters in here, which is like the entire freaking monster manual, which that's insane to me that he did that for all of these. But the vast majority of them do not stick around to fight to the death. I was like that that to me says that that is something that we should be thinking about way more, way, way, way more. we do because you're yeah you're right like the typical thing at least from the games that i've been a part of killing the enemy is par for the course you you stick around and see who's alive at the end of the fight if if the pcs aren't alive the campaign's freaking over and if the enemies are still alive like you know you didn't do your job. You know, for that
1: matter, it, this might be something for a GM to do. Maybe just house rule and say, okay, when players hit 0, they get knocked out and are dying. The same rule now applies to everything else. I've thought about that. Maybe you don't even roll saves. It's just they go down unless uh you kill them, right? Yeah. Like like if you just make the con conscious decision or maybe if you finish them off with a crit maybe then they automatically die you know something like that but
0: i did learn uh you know you could play with it i did learn a small interesting thing with this in terms of actual attack specifics if you're doing melee you can decide that um that you want to do non-lethal but if you're doing magic or ranged attacks you can't they are If you're shooting an arrow, it's always freaking lethal, which is very interesting. You don't have that option if you're doing a ranged attack, according to the rules, which
1: well, yeah, I would probably make the argument that that shouldn't always be true. I mean, I think if you don't know that something is about to die, then maybe. But if you like if you're a ranger and you see a guy who's, you know, they're down on a knee and they're like barely staying up like you could probably make the decision to shoot them in the leg right just a thought yeah which i is, well i which is not to say it wouldn't be fatal but right like, it you're not shooting them in the head yeah
0: <laughs> but even then you're still like well one how good of a shot are you like that you know
1: yeah, maybe there's just a chance. But I mean, for that matter, when you hit someone with a great sword really, you can stop short.
0: Well, like, you, you you hit him with the flat of your blade. That sort of thing. Right.
1: Like But like why why does that decision happen in one case but not the other? I don't understand that. Well, because it's you know, you're literally piercing someone instead
0: of just thumping them.
1: Yeah, but why can't I just shoot them somewhere else? Why can't I shoot them in the foot? Uh, I don't understand. What if you hit an artery? Like, what if you hit an artery and hit him with a flat of the blade? Like, how do you could. By the way, who the hell even does that? But anyway, it's fine. I'm just saying. Either way, people could make whatever house rule they wanted. Yeah. Um, and that's totally fine. But I. Uh, holding back on a fireball, okay, I'm with you. <laughs> yeah,
0: like it's just. <laughs> it's a fireball it's you probably, can't freaking do anything about that um and i i'm just saying this everything in everything in this book is is going purely off of raw you know right sure so per per the rules Fair enough. that is what it is if if you want to yeah. change it fine but i you know me i always want to change it. <laughs> yeah you do um uh. but i I, you know, there, I could go on and on all night about this book. I, I just thought that, like, for me, I, I would say that this book is required reading for any GM. Like, the amount of strategic advice in here and ways to really get an appreciation for what the designers of 5e were really trying to do with these monsters and not even necessarily monsters because he talks about like all the humanoids and stuff in here too um the amount of information and perspective on the on everything is just it's freaking incredible.
1: Yeah. It's pretty darn good. I you know, I didn't go through it cover to cover like like you did, but um I did enjoy and find value in the parts that I did. Good. Check out. I'm glad. So if if, if nothing else I would tell people go through the beginning and then reference the monsters as needed. Yeah. And that and that's what a lot of people do like when he started yeah. doing this
0: um he'd get a lot of a lot of people who would like happen across someone recommending his blog on like a reddit post like someone would say how do i you know run these goblins really well or something like that and somebody would just link to yeah his page and they go and they're like oh my god like this is it's like the best utility ever because now you don't have to necessarily come up with it all You just go look at the goblin entry and go, oh, okay, this is kind of how they behave.
1: I would also like to say this, like when you read the monster manual, don't just skip right to the stat block. Oh, my God. Yeah. Like literally and I'm guilty of that, but like Mm -hmm. literally try to read the whole entry first because a lot of strategy is actually implied there. Yeah. How they're introduced, like the hag is not just going to like walk up on your party and start a fight because she'll be destroyed. Yep. Right. She's going to try to like infiltrate a town and try to kidnap children for yep. her horrible ends, and you know, so you're going to interact with her totally differently than you are from you know a gang of bugbears that are just looking for a wagon to knock over. Yep. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, I guess it's just to say hobgoblins because bugbears are like trapdoor spiders according to this book, but um. Yeah. yeah. So was, I did learn something. Yeah, they're it's. <laughs> It's freaking crazy, and but yeah, read the read the entries too.
0: Yeah, they um, God, he's a lot of good stuff. He there. covers so much, so many things in here. Like even um, a lot of, and I I can't believe I'm I'm admitting this, but this book has gotten me more interested in math, <laughs> and I uh I know I know my uh my art uh my my non-math credit. it's okay man the 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 left and
1: right brain thing is a myth and doesn't exist so it's you're 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 fine
0: this is this has me like wanting to learn and understand more about um like the deeper ways that probabilities and stuff work because he he even went into it going okay In this given situation, most PCs can, you know, if they're fighting a monster that's at this CR, that means they are probably this level, which means they are this likely to be able to make this kind of save. So Mm -hmm. using this spell, which would have this save DC is only worth it in this, this, and this situation. And I'm like hearing slash reading this and going, oh my god, like, it's something that I had passingly wondered about. I wonder when, you know, when the best times to use these certain things would be, and he actually breaks it down, like any monster in this book that can cast spells, including like liches, vampires, like things with long spell lists. He breaks down every single spell they can cast and ranks them and goes, they will keep these slots open for these spells because they need them for this and this and this reason. Then if it's between this spell and this spell, in this situation, he would use it, use this one. In this situation, he'd use this one. And here's why. And he breaks it down to the point where you actually understand down to a statistical level like oh it's not going to work over here and it's not going to benefit him so he holds off but here it's the right tool for the job so this is when they use it and it leads to you playing the monster way smarter which is freaking crazy to me yeah cool very good stuff man so uh the monsters know what they're doing by Keith Amon, A-M-M-A-N-N. You can find it on Audible. You can find it on Amazon. You can find it over at his blog, uh, themonstersno.com And on the blog, I noticed just today, because I was looking over some uh, stuff for orcs, he has some monster entries that are revisited. Like on his blog, it says, Orc Tactics Revisited, because the original stuff he wrote was before i want to say volos came out so as new material's been released he goes back and looks at how the creatures should behave based on new material that's come out which is really really cool so he's yeah he's uh continuing to keep working on this it wasn't like a one and done project so that's really cool too all right man yeah,
1: that's pretty awesome. Cool. Thanks. So Yeah, I like that one. What do you have for us tonight? Well, I also went through a book. Actually, I went through this book a long time ago. Mm. Um and, and I revisited it and wrote some notes down. But this is Cam Wyland's Creating Character Arcs. Ooh. So totally the other side of of monsters and NPCs. You know, we're getting into the to the who you are and why. Uh, is your story important? Um, D and D and other role playing games. Um, but I would say role playing. I, I would. I would say D and D is particularly egregious at doing this. Mm. Um, where the point of my character is to kill the dragon. Yeah. Um, and you know, listen. For some players, that's fine. And I don't want to say that. Um, you must create character arcs for everything. But I would say it's a really good thing to try to implement. So. Just and this is relevant to all role playing games and frankly, all writing, because this is about books and scripts for the most part. So I think there's a lot of good carryover.
0: Now, before before jumping in, what what would you say to people who feel like dealing with character arcs and having your character be that deep can be a lot of work? it can be very mentally taxing it can you know for some folks it might even be confusing
1: i think what i would say to that person is that you just need to know what it is and i think that if you can and like if you know what it is and the dm knows what it is like it's even easier because i will break down the whole thing for you right now in a in a sentence okay uh your character arc is the lie your character believes that's it Hmm. at least according to this book right so especially if we're okay so there are three different arcs right there's the positive change mm-hmm. there's the flat arc and then there's the negative change okay so darth vader
0: and i'm not sure the the flat changes i guess like goku where he just kind of remains goku <laughs> yeah he, he, that's a good and example then, uh, yeah. i think i actually read that somewhere like referring to this sort of thing yeah and then uh walter white being like the negative character arc
1: where he yeah, goes well, I, down. I would also say, you know, depending on when you're talking about Vader, he's definitely negative, though he gets oh. sort of this redemption arc at the very, very end.
0: Yeah, the in, in the in the the original trilogy.
1: Yeah. 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 It, it's a little bit tricky, but that story is really more about Luke, of course. Sure. Um, and not every character in your story needs to have an arc, although arguably all of Star Wars is about Anakin. So I don't know. We can we could get into the weeds if we wanted. <laughs> sure. But yeah, like Walter White's obviously like first of all, just incredible. So, oh my god, Brian Cranston <laughs> can do anything. I just watched him again in the uh the one and only Ivan. Do not recommend. <laughs> Let's see. Pretty bad film. What is that? Uh it's a Disney feel good movie about animals that talk. Oh, I gotcha. Uh, just but Brian Cranston's in it. So anyway, um, Let's see. Anyway, regardless of which arc you're doing, everything revolves around the the lie your character believes. And I think going forward in writing characters, or at least creating my own PC, uh, when I get the chance to play, like I would almost start there. Hmm. Like the first thing, like, what do I want to overcome? What do I want to say with this character? Um, and so really what an arc ultimately is, at least in a positive change, is your character believes something that isn't true. And then they're faced with truth. And then they overcome the lie. They embrace truth. And then they win because of it. Mm. And that that is pretty much a character arc. So hopefully that would be a lot less scary to someone who's like, oh man, that seems like a lot of work. Mm. The other thing is, is maybe you just have a flat arc. And maybe your whole thing is that you overcome challenges and maybe people around you change, mm. you know, or maybe you can do what I've done a couple of times and have a negative arc, and then just go crazy and have a good time, you know. Yeah. So, uh, like I say, the 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 character arc surrounds this idea of the lie your character believes. So, what is what does that mean? Um, you know, we let's take Thor for example, because Cam Wyland uses a few different films, uh, to that she keeps, um, referring to mm-hmm. throughout her book. One of them is Thor, which I thought was interesting because I was like, nobody really thinks of Thor as this like great film, but it is fairly formula. The first one. Yeah, the first one. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. So she also refers to cars a lot. Um, And I was like, wow, cars actually covers a lot of stuff that I didn't realize. Um, Cars, like the Pixar movie. Yeah, the Pixar movie. And the other Pixar movie that she references a lot is uh, Toy Story. Oh, yeah. Uh, The first one, again, you know, talking about Woody's arc i mean what do you what do you think is the lie that woody believes if you can remember that film let's see let me just second you remember what his problem was he was okay well let, let's start at the beginning of the arc i'm gonna walk you through this all right okay so what is our first impression of woody in the first film uh i'm trying to think what
0: he he runs he runs the the whole he runs the bedroom he's he is the he owns this whole operation <laughs> he's, he's like he's he is andy's favorite toy
1: that's right yeah 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 um then what happens buzz comes in and shows him yeah. what's up <laughs> i right, got all wings a sudden, sucker <laughs> and flashing right, and lights. How, how does woody react to this he's not a fan <laughs> He's not a fan, right? So Woody derives all of his, like, pleasure, all of his, you know, meaning of himself in, like, being Andy's favorite toy, right? right? And he can't let anyone into that space. And so he actually makes some pretty terrible decisions leading to both of them losing track of Woody, of uh, Andy. Right. And only after Woody accepts Buzz into his life yeah. Do they both return to their kid? Yeah. Right. And so you can see the the arc there. So at the end of the film, you know, Woody and Buzz live together in harmony. The the world at large hasn't changed that much. They're still like running birthday parties and stuff. Sure. But they're but they're sharing that and they're doing that together and they both feel valued by Andy. Yeah.
0: They're a team and they better kind of uh they have a better understanding of themselves and woody cares he bases his self-worth less on his need to be andy's one and only favorite toy
1: so in the example of thor right maybe you can remember thor a little bit better Mm. you know what kind of guy is thor at the beginning of the film
0: just utterly self-assured and yeah definitely you know he's he is the god of
1: freaking thunder and sure. you know come at me bro kind of you know right yeah, he's but what's his problem what's the lie he believes what do you think that is Jeez, it's like yeah he's aw- he's awesome but that leads him to make some pretty bad decisions right he was uh, what's that external problem he first man it's know, been a into? long
0: time um Help me See, out. See when
1: Andrew watches movies, he goes, "There was a dude. He had a hammer. It was awesome."
0: <laughs> no, nah, man, it's just been a long time. <laughs> oh, you're killing me! Like you're asking so, me all these hard
1: questions. Like, I'm sorry. I'm trying to incorporate you into my inspiration uh, point as much please, as I can. Please,
0: please keep keep trying to incorporate me because if anything, it will just make this episode really funny. <laughs> I because I will try and sometimes failure is uh, much more fun than success so i'll i will be the whipping boy for our audience That's okay fine. so
1: so thor walks into the throne room he's about to become king right Right. and then what happens he
0: doesn't get to be king that is true why, <laughs> why does- his father basically says that he's got some stuff to learn
1: no 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 you're skipping um, ding what happened? Yeah, he's about to be crowned and something happens. Do you remember? No, I don't. Okay. <laughs> the the treasure, Odin's treasure vault is attacked by frost giants. Right. And they steal and the Tesseract? Was that? <laughs> the Destroyer kills, kills them. They don't steal anything. They're not successful. Jesus, it's been a long <laughs> <You didn't- laughs> time.
0: I have not rewatched those in <laughs>
1: ages. Okay. Uh, so anyway, Thor grabs his buddies despite his father's protests, and they go to Jotunheim, uh, where they're oh, going to and uh, they go kick some seek vengeance on the ice giants, frost giants. That's, that's right. That's right. Yeah. Okay, okay. It's it's coming back a little bit in a, in a scene that's frankly not lit well. I will say, yeah, I I do remember that it was dark. It's very dark and it's very blue. Yeah. Anyway, so he was they, trying
0: to exact vengeance against his father's wishes and he was yes trying to solve his problems through force
1: yes he's trying to solve his problems through through force thor is very entitled he's very yes. you know you might even say spoiled in a way but he thinks that he's superior therefore he's right and he's going to prove his rightness by essentially being a tyrant so might might makes right right yeah, yeah. You might say that is the lie, might makes right. Okay. I can, um, and therefore I should. Therefore I should. Like, I am I am the king, or I, I'm going to be in a minute. And then the real king is like, you know, maybe you're not ready. I'm mm. surprised I did not see this coming. And the audience is also a little surprised that Odin did not see this coming. Right. But uh, anyway. Like, come on. So then we're going to hit the midpoint as Odin strips Thor of his power. hmm Right? And that's when that hammer
0: has fallen in that, uh, in the end credits scene. And well, was that at the end of Iron Man when we see that the hammer fell in the crater?
1: Yeah, I think it was after credits, maybe in Thor two, because Coulson mentions that I got to go handle a thing in Mexico. Yeah. And Tony's like, I didn't ask. There was like what,
0: what there I I thought that was like or New Mexico I, I guess. thought that was the um,
1: first post
0: credit sequence that like we ever got
1: but anyway uh, No, anyway. I, I anyway um the the point is is that you know um Mjolnir gains a new enchantment by Odin's decree. Uh, whosoever holds his hammer if he be worthy shall possess the power of thor mm. um then he throw throws a uh, mjolnir into the bifrost and uh thor is likewise banished mm. Whereas he is he is immediately humiliated he's hit by a car he's sedated he's like uh mm. he's beaten up um colson taunts him you know all kinds of great stuff happens in an effort to basically humble him. Man, I need to go back and you know? rewatch this. Yes, you do. Yeah. Um so immediately Thor starts trying to use his strength to solve his problems and it doesn't work. Mm. And that that's an important thing. So the point of no return, the end of act 1 is when Thor is kicked out of Asgard and is and is sent down to Earth. Right. And so that's literally the point of no return. You cannot come back. <laughs> i, I like, like when it's nice and clear like that nice and clear right and then we as we get into act two what we have to learn is that the old rules no longer apply mm. so this is where the hero is in what you would call the reactive phase how
0: do i the deal hero, with the new situation
1: that's right and they are bad at dealing with that situation because again they solves all he he literally solved all of his problems with hammers and when when a screwdriver was perhaps required Mm. and and because it was working right right so and now it doesn't work at all he can he's you know like i say he got ran over by a car he got sedated you know he's not the god of thunder anymore Mm. so that means that he has got to be confronted with the truth and he hits this low point punctuated by rainfall (laughs) and which often happens is you know rainfall loki appears to him as an illusion and um basically tells him that his father's dead that all is lost Mm. you know like you can't bring thor much lower than that and that's usually the midpoint of the second act so the midpoint of your film uh things are looking pretty bleak because the lie has failed us and now we must overcome it Mm. uh thor starts to learn to care about people he cares about jane he starts to care about um uh, darcy and uh was dr whatever his name was yeah um that ran around naked in the second film (laughs) um and so now we're entering the active phase uh the hero is now using truth uh to solve problems they're they're using a different method Mm. um and then as we get into act three usually the antagonist has to react to this change this unexpected turn of events and um basically kill the hero right or there needs to be some sort of conflict which causes in the what you might say in the 12 stages of the hero's journey uh the death phase Mm. right um and uh we we've said this many times in our games it's the moment where defeat is uh claimed from the jaws of victory (laughs) sure um that happens a lot in our games yeah Um, but the Full embracing of the truth is part of that resurrection mm. that the hero goes through. In Thor's case, he's literally killed more or less by the Destroyer who shows up,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and Thor stands up to him because now he cares about people. He now he cares about the people of Earth, and he wants to protect them. In fact, the Warriors Three and Sif are there now as well. Back when they were characters that mattered, oh. and I know oh, Rip. Um, but anyway, um Thor stands up even though he has no power, and um both symbolically and almost literally he is killed uh by the by the destroyer, by Odin's golem, mm-hmm. who is now being controlled by Loki, and in that moment he's able to reach up. He is now worthy of the power of Thor. Mjolnir flies to his hand, he is basically literally resurrected. Yeah. Because every story is the story of Jesus. <laughs> Thor gets up, he's able to win using the power of truth because he's now worthy, even though he basically wields the same power he did before, he now deserves it and appreciates it so this is the climax of the film this is really what it was really all about mm-hmm. and then that's this punctuated further when he goes to uh, fight loki and asgard he risks um the relationship he'd like to have with jane foster in order to keep her safe by destroying the bifrost mm-hmm. and he still attempts to spare loki's life um and then we have a resolution like how is the world different now right how is you know, what is the impact you've had on the world, not just on yourself, but on everyone else? And and we would hope in a role playing game to look out at everything we've done and, and say, you know, what is my impact here? Yeah. How has the world changed? That's one of the most telling is- things for sure. Definitely. So there is the um, arc of Thor and an example of how the arc might look. So one way to think about it is um, when you make your character From the PC perspective Mm -hmm. in the backgrounds, they have a section in, at least for Dungeons and Dragons fifth edition, there's the background section. And then there's a part of it that's called flaw. Yep. And the flaw is something that we sort of gloss over. And sometimes we make flaws, some things that are dumb. Right. Like my character can't control the volume of their voice. Yeah. That's funny. It's actually obnoxious. That's also not a flaw. It's just annoying. Right. There are some of the flaws that they write here that are actually great. Uh, I'm just looking at the acolyte here. Okay. And the first one says, "I judge others harshly and myself even more severely." Hmm. So the you might reframe that as a lie statement. I believe that things only get through better through very harsh criticism. Okay. Or I or you know something like that. Uh, the second flaw is I put too much trust in those who wield power within my temple's hierarchy. Hmm. Okay. Always defer morality to power. Yeah. Right. That's a pretty big lie. And if I'm the DM in that scenario, I'm going, okay. at least for that character, the bad guy is his priest. Right. Mm. Or he's the the grand inquisitor or the pope or whatever you want to use. Yeah. If he's not the antagonist of the whole campaign, he's maybe a, a, a small antagonist for this character. Right. And so these things start to right themselves when when you start putting it in this framework Mm. the third one says my piety sometimes leads me to blindly trust those that profess faith in my god faith is not a so the lie might be faith is a question of speech not action okay yeah and so then we have to to prove true belief maybe i don't know you can pick Almost any of these and most of these will give you a good idea of a, a really, I would say almost start your character here. Yeah. At least try it once, you know. The backgrounds are super,
0: super helpful. And I think that when it comes to characters in general, especially with D and D, the game, and I think we've mentioned this before, that D and D kinda has always leaned into the power fantasy kind of oh, sure. thing yeah. where, like, a lot of folks go into it, myself included, plenty of times. Sure. W- where it's like, I just want to make an awesome, super capable person who's really good at kicking the butts of every monster he runs into. And that's right. it. Sure. And it's looking at the flaws section you're like i don't want to think about freaking flaws i don't want to think about what i'm bad at or
1: right or you pick something that's very
0: external that doesn't really matter right or something that's easy enough to cope or deal
1: with my character kicks a bunch of ass and he also likes drinking yeah like oh man that's his flaw he likes to drink so i uh okay. i go out
0: and i get more grog i'm role-playing Uh
1: If I'm the DM, I'm going. Fine. Your weakness is then alcoholism. Well, that's not what I said. Your weakness is now alcoholism. There you go. (laughs) Yeah. So you can. I. But I. I take your point that a lot of people go in for just the power fantasy. What I would say to that is killing the dragon is cool. But if you can kill the dragon for a reason, that's even better. Always. And not just because oh he's terrorizing the village. Okay. Let's go. Let's get deeper. Right. The dragon represents perhaps you might say the collective sin of the town right because why why is the dragon attacking now and and why wasn't he doing that before mm. well you see they decided to start raiding the old dwarven mine even though the dwarves said hey that's our ancient burial ground could you please not do that but the human kingdom said we don't have to listen to you you don't have power mm. and everyone starts benefiting from the treasure that is being brought in but the mining work and the collection of of treasure has awakened the dragon and you're now influencing his horde right so really we're not talking about a story where we are just you know it's not about killing a dragon it's about defeating greed right because that's what led to the dragon coming in the first place exactly Mm -hmm. right and that's how by the way um, referencing the other book i talked about save the cat Mm -hmm. that's one of the film types is monster in the room right so, you know, it's not just that Jaws is a big shark, he's representative of the greed of um the mayor essentially mm. and the people of the town. Uh they don't want to close down because of profit. Right. Right. Uh you know, the the film Alien, right? It's not just there's aliens, it's that you tried to play God. You know, same mm. thing with Jurassic Park. Yeah. Okay? Like the the list is endless. So, yeah, we're not killing raptors, we're we're dealing with hubris. Gotcha. Yeah and that uh, that's so much more meaningful yeah right that's going to make your role play experience so much more impactful uh but you also get to kill a dragon there you go so we're not taking that away from you we're just like okay you're 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 basically saying i want to eat cake i'm like yeah but i want to make your cake better i want to make it a nice spice cake i want to use fresh ingredients yeah there you go i don't want to use any artificial flavoring uh i'm going to make the frosting by hand you know that's that's what i'm saying
0: yeah you make it you make it meaningful, you know. A fight for a fight's sake is is boring. Like if you, if you, if all you want is a kick ass fight, there are a lot of video games that could handle it way better than D anD
1: D. And frankly, a lot of video games at this point have this stuff. Yeah, you know. Yeah, there are some games that are just killing fun, but a lot of them have great story stuff. And by the way, if I combine what you were saying earlier about letting character surrender sure go go with this now we have a chance to to examine your arc so let's say we have our 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 uh, barbarian of um of zealotry Mm -hmm. you know who defeats a thug in the streets the thug says i give up and then she says too bad by my too bad by my holy silver be cleansed and then kills him and everyone's horrified right um and then later on in the story, a very similar situation happens, and this time she stays her blade,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? Because because we she had to deal with the repercussions of that happening. Right. Um, and we've gotten some great moments out of that, ma- making that character not just, hey, I rolled up a barbarian, but making that a personality that is overcoming, essentially, self-righteousness. Right.
0: Yeah. So, say I'm a player who is completely... Okay. I wasn't done. Um, (laughs) So say I'm a player who is completely new to even thinking about this sort of thing, but I want to give it a shot. Sure. What's a good kind of methodology or step-by-step I can take to make sure that I am choosing a lie that my character can believe and then overcome where that's doable in the game right where where it's something that's simple enough to be able to wrap your head around where you can execute on that while playing and thinking about all this other stuff because i i think one of the things that i've run into from time to time across all the different characters i've played is that there there are some characters where it's easier to get into their head than others yeah and sometimes on the flip side you can feel a bit distant in in more of like a video gamey way where you kind of remain aware that you are controlling another thing instead of i am that thing you know what i mean
1: yeah, yeah. I it can it can be hard to control this, especially if your DM doesn't care about this sort of thing and sure. they're just here to kill monsters. But I think there's still a lot of, that you can do even from just a player's perspective. Mm-hmm. So one thing a lot of DMs will ask you for is a backstory. Mm-hmm. So Wyland talks about your character's ghost and the question is why they believe the lie. Mm. So if your DM asks you to write a backstory, um, that needs to be your framework. That needs to be your quick reference. Like what's the lie? What is and the lie? Why do they, why do they believe exactly. that lie? Exactly.
0: That helps. Cause then that gives you, that always helps me with all. I find myself doing that in just in life constantly where I feel like I have a much easier time approaching something when I understand the thinking behind it with any task. I remember I, I started taking a uh, a leatherworking course a little while back, and you know I had to put that on hold for several months now. But when I started, I'd watch the the videos and read the course material that our instructor had put together for us, which was really excellent, by the way. Um, and after I'd done that, I'd have like all these questions about like, okay, I understand that you say to use this methodology. I understand that, you know, this is the way you really ought to do it, but I can think of other ways that someone could do it. Why did, why is this particular one, the, the one that you settled on or, you know, how, How did you arrive here? And he'd actually explain it to me. And after he did, I'd be sitting there going, oh, okay. You know, it's like teach a man to fish. Once you understand. I think I I know where you're going. Once you understand (laughs) the methodology behind the thing, it makes it much easier to execute on the thing itself because your brain also has wrapped around where it comes from. And you can base decisions on that now. And it acts as a sort of a guide.
1: So if you write a character backstory where you've basically already resolved your problems and in an effort to just explain why you're a hero, that would be hard to work with. Because then I'd be like, okay, unless he just unintentionally left a big flaw in here for me, you know, that's pretty hard to work with. You know, it's much easier to say, you know, uh, my my parents were killed by bandits, and so now I believe in extreme law and order because I don't want something like that to ever happen to anyone else ever again. Mm. And you know, I and this is like made me particularly merciless, but I believe now that morality is shaped by law itself right then that gives the the dm a lot to work with right. and to say okay the reason why leatherworking needs to happen in the way it's happened is because this guy's parents were killed by lax laws and and by watchmen that weren't paying attention right you know and that's perfectly understandable but now i get to teach this character about freedom mm. and allowing mercy and flexibility these are these are things that they get to learn All right and now I'm already getting ideas of, okay, well, what kind of enemies does he need to face? Well, he, even monsters he fights could be symbolic of inflexibility, right? So maybe maybe he gets to fight a golem who is killable because he's so predictable. Mm. Or because, like we said earlier, he'll fight to the death because he has nothing but programming. Right. Maybe he has to fight a gang of cultists who are also driven by extreme order, but that fanaticism leads them to their own destruction. Right. Right. And so now all of a sudden I'm, I'm starting to fill out the bestiary because I know about a lie. There you go. (laughs) Right. So from the DM's perspective, understanding character arcs is great because now your players are essentially writing your campaign. Well, it isn't that nice. (laughs) It isn't that nice. Right. So now we get to discover that. So uh, the other thing I would say to the new player that wants to keep track of things is, your character is probably not aware of the lie that they believe, right? They believe that it's the truth. Yeah, it's but just how they think. what they do know is what they want. Mm. And there's a difference between what your character wants and what they need. And And the truth is what you need.
0: Is right? there a correlation between what they want
1: and the lie? Yeah, definitely. I mean, there has to be, right? so if if what you want is extreme law and order right like if that is the goal um then you may want things like oh i want to punish bad guys and i want to make examples of them maybe i believe in capital punishment maybe this guy you know was a petty thief and i beat him senseless for Mm. it right and then it turned out it was just some guy trying to feed his family right but there's what she calls it in the book are symptoms of the lie, right? Okay. As we express our wants, right. These are things that, um, that show what the overall sickness really is. Mm. And then once we understand what the illness is, then we can start working on cures. Mm. Um, so, you know, you might have a revenge driven backstory. Um, you might have a superiority complex like my D and D character has in a, in, our current game mm-hmm. uh, that we play in. Uh, well, he had one now he's, now he's on a new arc. Right. But um, you know, for a while there he was like, Oh, I'm ordained with all this power and I'm physically more capable than more, most creatures. Therefore I'm superior. Therefore it is my duty to direct the lives of others. Right. That really kind of leans into that. That's a pretty solid parallel to or <laughs> it really kind of is, you know, except for it's like, spider-man if he thought he was better than other people Mm. like great power comes great responsibility yes therefore i must enforce my views on others Mm. right therefore i must drive your life for you because you can't do it right that's part of the reason why he rejects the the scene where all the orcs were participating in a cultural ritual ritual and he he does not participate right because he thinks well we're gonna first things first we're gonna get rid of this thing. yeah when i when i clean all this up this this all gets to go away yeah because now we're gonna sit down and in church like like people like civilized like folk. civilized folk right yeah so he's a bit like John Smith in that way. Right? Sure. Yeah. Then he's then he's killed by the avatar of uh, Yanagu. Anyway, um, let's That'll see. That'll teach him. That'll teach him. So here's here's another question. Um, sure. Oh, sorry. Uh, let me add this real sure. quick, and this will probably answer your question even better. Okay. Your first question being like, how do I make sure that this works? When your character is introduced, that's almost the most important moment of your character's career. <laughs> no pressure. Wow you need to convey a couple of things <laughs> when your character is introduced into the camp. Kick my mic. When your character is introduced into the campaign, you need to express what your character does, like why they're cool. What are their wants? Right. You can even do something awesome. Right. The lie can be very attractive, hmm. right? Like when, it, in, when Thor opens, he kicks a bunch of butt and we're like, dude, I love Thor, man. This guy's great. Right. In the beginning of of Iron Man he's like mean to everybody and he cracks wise and we love him for right. it. You know. So that stuff can all be good. But you want to make sure you're also illustrating that lie. Mm. Right? And that also is going to at least subconsciously tell your DM, here's my character's problem. Here's here's what they need to know. And by the way, you don't have to make it subconscious. You could just talk to them. We we say that all the time. Right. Just communicate. If your DM knows about things like arcs, then they'll probably want to work with you. If not, then you know, maybe they'll this is a learning experience for them. Um, maybe you can quietly enjoy your arc yourself um, as you find opportunities to change, regardless of what your DM's paying attention right. to. So have your character moment. So remember when we talked about save the cat, yep. right? That's really important too. Right? And, and those two things could almost happen at the same time. Hmm. Like introduce us. Don't just say my character has gray eyes. In white hair, and his ears are pointed, but not too much. He's got three ear. Like, nobody cares. Right. All of that is superficial. Yeah. Right? Introduce your character in an attitude that is indic- indicative of what they do. Or describe what your character may be doing at that moment to give us a sense of who they are. Mm. Right? The character gives you a sideways glance. He pulls the tobacco pipe out of his mouth. He taps it on the desk, not looking at you. He sighs, slowly turns his head and says, Can I help you? Right? Yeah. I know way more about that second character. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And not one of those things is his eye color. (laughs) Not, yeah. Nobody cares. My character is grayish. Shut up. They're brown. Right. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, so have a, what's your next question? My next
0: question is What if you find yourself rapping? your arc relatively soon or like what if what if your character completes that arc way before the campaign ends what do you yeah what do you do with them
1: well a couple things one in most stories even as the hero is picking up on the truth they probably shouldn't get it all at once so i would probably recommend you leaving some room for improvement until it's time but let's say for you know for sake of argument, I'll take your your hypothetical and say that, um, yeah, you're totally wrapped and your character is fully immersed in the truth, and they've already brought together as much of a change in the world as they can. What I might say in that case is there are other players at the table, and they may need help getting through their quirks because presumably you're all going to have to fight the big bad evil guy together, mm-hmm. and the big bad evil guy should represent the flaws. And the lies of the whole party, Hmm. right? Or at least of whoever key member is left that needs to be dealt with. And if I would say in that final conflict, if I'm the DM and the player has not learned and has not figured out their arc, I am very ready to kill that character. Hmm. And I know that sounds harsh, but we're at the end of the campaign anyway. And if they have a similar lie to you and you have figured it out, then great. I get to illustrate the difference. There you go. Huh. But I would also say that you know it is also a game. Sure. <laughs> so you just gotta gotta. Uh, the other thing is, um, there's no reason why you can't have a new problem. My character basically overcame his arc D and D campaign for the most part, but I I knew we had a lot of campaign left, so I was like, well, now he's swinging too far the other way. Hmm. So. Yeah, he used to think he was superior. Now he thinks the he's the only one who is unworthy. Oh, and he hate and he dislikes himself. And he his whole goal is to basically solve the universe's problem and probably die for the effort because that is the fate he deserves. Hmm. So his lie is that he believes he is unworthy of love. Hmm. And hopefully, he will learn that is not true. Oh man, that'd be a major yeah, that, bummer if it. <laughs> and if he doesn't he doesn't right rocks fall and everyone dies well my character died Heavy downer (laughs) oh god yeah but that's a really good question so i would say yeah it depends on how much time you have left yeah i wonder about that kind of thing Because
0: I feel like, you know, it seems like there's a lot of potential there for, you know, instead of there being this major arc that you could have almost like, you know, like skipping a stone where it goes from arc to arc to arc to arc, where they learn one thing that chains into another thing that chains into another thing, which on the one hand could be more complex if what it chains into Is a facet of the initial thing. Or on the flip side, it could be more simple in that they learn one thing and resolve that one thing and then start an entirely new thing and tackle
1: separate issues separately. Right. Or they think the truth is something else and they're still wrong, right? Like, they're still, maybe they're avoiding the truth. Like, okay, my career as um, a politician didn't work out. So now I'm gonna become a truck driver. That's the truth. It's like Uh, no, nope. uh, That didn't work out either. (laughs) That wasn't. No, the problem wasn't your vocation. It was the fact that you don't like work hard. (laughs) Oh, gotcha. (laughs) So no matter what you pick, you're just you're just spinning your wheels, bro. Like yeah. So you know that's the other thing. And I think that if you're if you have a sense of how long the campaign's going, you can kind of pace yourself, Mm -hmm. right? And you can say, well, I don't have to totally change right now. I can I can take some left turns, and that also allows you to explore the character a little bit. Yeah, um, you're being presented with a variety of scenarios. A lot of them are based on survival. Fear is a great catalyst for change. Sure. Uh, death of you or of loved ones can be uh, interesting. For that, those kinds of changes, injuries, deaths of NPCs, um, the PTSD suffered from seeing endless horrors. Oh, sure. I mean, have you, I mean, I have PTSD from just looking at the entry for the gibbering mouther, oh, right? God. To say nothing of actually seeing one in, in, in a fictional world.
0: You know, it's funny. That's, that's actually one of the, um, uh, one of the monsters in, uh, the monsters know what they're doing that I put a post note on <laughs> <Did Yeah. you? laughs> gibbering mouther, very low intelligence.
1: <laughs> yes. Yeah, that thing is pretty much just going to bite whatever's around and doesn't really know what's going on. But anyway, you know, just to kind of go back really quick, you know, don't forget about the flat arc. So let's say that you find this entire discussion overwhelming and you're like, I don't I don't know if I want to put that much effort into it. Understand. Consider the flat arc. Yeah. (laughs) Consider the flat arc. Your character already knows the truth. They're already shaped by the truth. They know good things. They're good people. And you may be exploring aspects of it. Your ties to the truth could be challenged. But what your character is going to experience is the lie around you mm. and how you can solve that for other people. You're really more of a catalyst for the change right. of others. So this is, how, this is how I see Captain America, right? in In the first Cap film, he doesn't really believe a lie. He knows what he's about. Yeah, he knows what he's about. He you know, there's a couple of points where maybe he starts to lose track. You know, he has the whole thing where he uh, joins the the USO and he's there for a long time. He's clearly unhappy. Uh, The soldiers have rejected him. It's because he's sort of lost track. Mm -hmm. And so he has to get back on track. And when he does, that's when we get into act three. So in that case, it's to
0: throw, you know, throw a bump in the road for a character with a flat arc it could be more about distractions and things that make that character lose focus or kind of take their eyes off the prize.
1: Exactly. Okay. Yeah, or you could create doubt, right? Like if your character is based on faith like a cleric or a paladin, mm-hmm. maybe maybe something shakes that faith. So, but maybe you ultimately turn so back to So they don't
0: it. they don't
1: necessarily start
0: believing a lie. They start right. in a good place, but As things are going, there are just some potential challenges
1: to where they're at. Yeah. That's interesting. Or maybe they need to explore what they mean by their tenets further, right? Like, okay, it's one thing to read about this in a book and another thing to see it. But yeah, there could be distractions. There could be other people suffering because of the lie. And now you need to teach them the truth. But of course, most people don't want to hear the truth. Most people are very comfortable in the lie.
0: You know, the more we talk about this, the more I think, not entirely, but I think i think in a lot of ways, Lanzevier kind of fall, falls into this a little bit. He didn't necessarily start with, like, an objectively false thing that he was believing. He's typically a, like, an all-around kind of just good guy kind of dude who's just, you know, generally trying to do the right thing so the issue has never quite been like the path but it's what he has run into have been like these these speed bumps that are like okay you believe this thing you you know this is where you put your faith or this is what you're about why why are you about this you know can you substantiate
1: it Or can you, or can we define that further? you know, for, for instance, your character, well, you know, will say something to the effect of, well, the wheel turns and sometimes you're on top and sometimes you're on the bottom. And for a lot of people that's infuriating because you're basically hand-waving misfortune. And so your character has to experience real misfortune. And so that, you know, even though that may not change your, your central religion or, or way of thinking, you know, you have a it clear does understanding color it. it. Yeah. Like when I say you're on the bottom of the wheel, I know what that yeah. is. Yeah. I, I empathize with that. Yeah. And that makes a huge difference. Not to give away your character. Oh, thing, sure. But, um. <laughs> that's stuff that's been coming
0: anyway, but yeah, yeah. Like it's, you know, we, we talk about this stuff
1: outside of the podcast, but too. I do have a, a way to screw you up that I'm looking forward to. So you're real. the worst, because <laughs> um, i I still have an idea for a positive change arc. We'll see oh, how you I'm, react. I'm sure, but <laughs> this is something
0: where, like, the way that you think about character arcs and stuff is not something that I'm used to doing. Like, I've heard, I've heard right. the whole, sure. you know, what is the lie your character believes and that sort of thing. But that's always been a little bit difficult for me just because when i when i go into it i wind up kind of reflexively thinking very literally like he believes the sky is green any lie that pops into my head is is a lot more blatant and then i think about that i'm like well that's just dumb like nobody would actually believe that
1: my character is afraid of spiders great yeah there you go (laughs) that's I guess I'll throw some spiders at you. That's a flat arc, though, because spiders are scary,
0: objectively.
1: Yeah. And, uh... Now, on the other hand, if your character is afraid of spiders because your mother used to punish you by wrapping you in a net and hanging you in a closet, that's whoa, something we could work with.
0: Whoa! Wow, that...
1: I literally just came that up with this. took a
0: turn. Oh, my God.
1: That's horrible. <laughs> Well, listen, that's the ghost of your past, right? Like, uh, we could even go real life. You know, why does Andrew make characters where he gets to have power to fantasies and escape reality? Well, it's because he doesn't feel super powerful in real life. And why is that? Well, let's look in his backstory. Oh, look, Here's some things that made him feel not so powerful. And now he wants these powers in fantasy. All of a sudden, we're finding out that Andrew's life story is kind of interesting. And relatable. Mm. Sorry. <laughs> just,
0: just hung me up like that kid in the closet. Jeez.
1: <laughs> There's a kid in the closet. We'll call him Andrew.
0: <laughs> he's not even, like, afraid of spiders. He's just afraid of anything that hangs upside down. Spiders. Bats.
1: Yeah, he's afraid of nets. He's afraid of not being able to move.
0: Man, I
1: was now I was something. taking
0: that in a funny direction, and then you bring it back, and it's like horrifying again
1: oh, right, but we're getting to know this character right we're We're starting to feel for this I just character. can't can't escape oh no nope, can't exactly you can't oh, escape no, that's the feeling. I did it oh, see you're getting it even if it's just oh. subconsciously I don't want to learn. oh oh my well if you don't want to learn might i recommend the third arc which is negative
0: oh there we go wow that was a great (laughs) segue bravo thank you
1: thank you have we got Mm. an arc for you have we got an arc for you the lie is there already and and maybe we never overcome it or maybe we believe the truth in the beginning and turn to lies that walter uh, white 100 man it's for yeah. my family no it's for you no it's for you which uh it, actually in that moment that realization is almost positive but anyway that was so good oh my god yeah it's more or less uh pretty close to the positive arc it's just at the end you believe the lie and it usually leads to your destruction mm-hmm. or some sort of dark transformation and then what's great about that is you get to be the the big bad evil guy in the next campaign. Yes. <laughs> right? Or the lieutenant or something. And maybe there's a redemption arc that, that can come. Because let's face it, we all have the, uh, the Anakin Skywalker fantasy. Like we all want to be Darth Vader. Oh, yeah. Bad guys get so to have all the fun. They really do. They get to wear cooler colors. You know, they get, everybody looks good in black. Oh, yeah. It's slimming. It's you know, very. Plus. Very slimming. Goes
0: with everything. I mean, you know, people would look at you know, at the paladin weird, if he somehow got force powers and walked into a place. And he wasn't just like, doing the necessary like, okay, the bad guys are coming at me. I just I take them down fast, you know, and and I move on. No, like he's taking his force powers and slamming one dude repeatedly against the ceiling. Because he kind of is having a good time. He's like, yeah, yeah, you like that? Yeah. Oh, I think that that paladin has uh, a little, little work
1: he needs to do on himself. A little work. Yeah, you know, uh, well, I mean, Luke Skywalker shows up. He's in his crappy little farmer outfit. He's got his bad haircut. And then we get to look at his father, who is a black armor clad space samurai. That's, yeah. I know which one looks yeah. cooler.
0: Stupid little crappy haircut, having space farmer. What a lame. <laughs> he whines oh constantly. By God. the way, he he's such a whiner. My dad, he.
1: But he does get that from his father, who's also a whiner in his own. Oh movies. yeah,
0: that's true.
1: <laughs> really, inherits whining
0: that. is a Skywalker genetic
1: trait. So that that takes me to a couple of little list bullet points that that I've created that to, to just kind of help you. And, and everyone to be guided along this We path. like lists. We like lists. I get it from you. You're welcome. Let's see. Players can build using the lie and truth and can share it with the DM. So if you you can work directly with your DM about your arc. Make the lie your flaw. We already talked about that. Show early on how your character is cool, likable, and flawed. Show the, off the lie. Let's have that character moment. And let's get that pretty early on because if we don't get it early on, we're going to have difficult connecting There you. With go. you. Don't let the lie keep you from cooperating. Oh, please. Please don't pick a lie that says, I hate everyone and I can get along with no one. Might make for a
0: decent novel somehow, but won't make
1: for a decent PC. It won't. Yeah, and and don't forget the medium you're in. You need to play a game with other people. So... Maybe explore that in your novel.
0: That novel you've been working at.
1: You know, because again, your character needs to be motivated to work with people, right? They need to be motivated to go on this journey. And and I will say that is largely your responsibility as a Mm -hmm. player. Find your motivation. As a DM, I take a lot of responsibility and I want to give everyone as much of a hook as I can to not only go on adventure, but to work together. But you got to meet me halfway, man. Yeah. (laughs) Do your part. Let's see... Uh, DMs should try to apply arcs as well. Like if your players don't know about this stuff, I would say it's pretty rewarding to try to look for it mm. and to try to work through it and guide a player through it. Maybe talk to them a little bit about that. Help them along. Giving NPCs arcs can be interesting. Not every character does need an arc. Mm. That could be pretty darn overwhelming. But maybe a few key NPCs could use one because the players can can learn from
0: that. Well, especially if they are... NPCs that are that are like frequently, or maybe not frequently, but at least substantially interacting with the PCs, because then, you know, in order to make it satisfying in the game sense, you know, you don't want all this stuff happening in the background, because then that's you just having that for yourself, the GM, and you're like, Oh, you know, I made this interesting arc, and all this stuff happened off screen. You want the changes and the responses that the NPC makes to be influenced by their interactions with the PCs so that the PCs then see those changes or those decisions that that NPC makes and goes, oh, I see why they did that. You know, they went bad because we blank or they made this good decision because we blank,
1: you know, exactly. You want the PCs to well, feel like, like
0: they have something to do
1: with the arc. I mean, it's cause and effect, sure. right? And every, you know, you, you need that for your game world to feel alive and dynamic. So when you're, I didn't know if in the fur we're going to be the bad guys in, uh in my home campaign, mm-hmm. your character basically decided they wouldn't be neat. <laughs> by doing what he did they had every reason to hate the settlement and to attack it and until they totally honestly, didn't honestly that's
0: something that i had in my head since we first got to the site of the settlement because it was like a furball burial ground
1: yeah essentially yeah
0: and they were freaking pissed and i was sitting there going the furbog are not gonna freaking just let this go and no in andrew's head i'm like okay i don't want a bunch of pissed off furbolgs as the enemy so let's let's see what we can do about that and instead we turn them into teddy bears and that's fun
1: yeah they became your buddies they became allies yeah. and the bad guy got to be someone yeah. else so <laughs> so you didn't escape conflict but it did right. change right and meanwhile, the bad guy we talked about earlier, Starg, he becomes the bad guy because he's essentially ignored, mm-hmm. because he's marginalized, because in comparison to you guys, he could never be good enough. So it's, I mean, it's nothing you guys necessarily did wrong, but it was a, a problem that was hard to see that was allowed to fester. Mm-hmm. And then there were also decisions regarding other NPCs that led to him becoming what he was. But I'm, I mean, when I started the campaign, I didn't know what yeah. he was. So. That was, that was pretty fun. Yeah. So I like having that kind of cause and effect. Okay. We're, we're, I'm going to try to get through the last couple of points really fast. Let's see. uh, You don't have to make arcs super complicated. That's fine. Right. Like they can be pretty simple things. Maybe try, and I haven't tried this yet, but maybe try to create a group arc to unite the party. Right. What? I don't even know what that would necessarily look like offhand. Maybe it's something as simple as we all need to escape this island or we all need to get out of jail, or mm. we all need to survive this scenario. But even then, it's like, well, what's the emotional arc that we could all share? You know, um, you know, maybe it's the same bad guy wronged all of you. I don't know. Yeah. And maybe all of your flaws are similar enough that we can use that. But that's something I would like to experiment with in the future. Yeah.
0: I think that's the kind of thing that comes out of a very substantial Session Zero. For yes. anyone who's listening to this who maybe for whatever reason has never done a session zero or isn't familiar with the term. That's basically a, you have a session with the players and the GM for a campaign you know is coming up, but everyone sits around the table together or virtually sits around the table together as the case may be nowadays. And you talk about a few different things such as what everyone is looking to get out of the game which plays into one of our earlier episodes like what what is it Bartles right yeah yeah Bartles it. Yeah. so you go into it kind of knowing like I want to get this that or the other thing out of the game and everyone communicates that and then you start spitballing ideas for you know what could come out of this the DM lets you guys in on at least the basic gist of the story and hopefully adapts that story to fit, you know, what you guys want to do like if everyone is dead set on playing like a heist kind of campaign where you're like a criminal organization and the GM had in his head something more typical heroic, you know, kind of stuff, there may need to be some changes that happen there, so a session 0 is good for kind of coming to a meeting of the minds on that. And then that's also where you can discuss Character arcs and how you can get your characters to sync up and make sure everyone can kind of play nicely together. That's where you'll realize, like, oh, that character is the antisocial jerk who's not going to play nice with anyone and is going to be a major thorn on our side. Maybe head that off at the pass and make sure you can use a session zero to iron all that stuff out. Session zeros are
1: super, super good. Agreed. Agreed. And to that end, I would say, you know, some players are going to look at this and go, listen, man, I just came for the dungeons and the dragons. And I, and I wouldn't say that they're wrong. Right. However and you have, I would say don't break It's okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And don't break your brain trying to force this guy into a deep storyline that he's not right. interested in. Uh, Cause you'll just be disappointed. That character can be a support to yep. other people. Right. And then you can spend more time doing character stuff with the guy who's interested in character right. stuff. All right. And then that'll be good for everybody. That goes back to your stuff about Bartle's taxonomy. You know, you have
0: those player yeah. types who are really there to play through deep story interactions and have that deep character development where maybe you got a person in a party who's a killer and just wants to get into combat and literally just see big numbers make something have small numbers and that gives you that (laughs) sense of accomplishment and satisfaction, or they, you know, just want to play with some mechanics and let that be that. And you know, that's okay. So long as that doesn't
1: steamroll everyone else. I agree. So yeah, that's pretty much it. KM Wylands, creating character arcs, start coming up with some good lies for your PCs and NPCs.
0: That seems like the kind of thing where, We could almost like make a generator, like a noun verb kind of thing where they they think blank about blank. They think, you know, verb about noun or something like that could they think run about chair and you really shouldn't run about (laughs) chair. You might trip and fall, but they're not going to learn that until they are running about the chair. And they trip and fall. I think
1: there is a long list that's actually included in this book. I think she references another site or a link that is basically a gigantic list of, of lies to look at. Oh, that's very cool. Which is awesome. So that's very helpful because this could be hard to to do. But again, like, look at the PHB. Look at the flaws. Yeah. A lot of them are pretty valid lies. Some of them are dumb. Like uh, the charlatan says, I can't resist a pretty face. Not a great flaw, but I guess I could extrapolate that into something pretty serious. Oh, sure. Can't resist a pretty face. Like,
0: valuable things come in nice-looking packages or, you know...
1: Sure, or maybe now your character sexually harasses people? Like, and well, I don't know how much we want to play into that, but, you know... I think it leans into
0: the they judge a book by its cover kind of thing you know they need to look at what's on the inside right like yeah things show their qualities in obvious ways when really it's like you know maybe beauty's more than skin deep that sort of thing i i think i think there's something very deep there even without like having them become like a like a freaking sexual harassment textbook example.
1: So what you're saying is we have to cut into the pretty face and dig deeper to see what's I did not say anything like that at (laughs) all. And then throw the parts in a closet in a net and close the door? Uh, Oh. Oh. That.
0: uh. And now I have an antagonist. Thank you, Andrew. God. (laughs) When you walk in... To the villain's lair, you notice that everything is conspicuously upright. <laughs> he has a chandelier, but weirdly,
1: sitting it's on, on the, the table,
0: table <laughs> and it's upside down, but not <laughs> breaking. I don't know where i was going my with brain.
1: This. Well, anyway, we ought to probably wrap this yeah, up. Yeah, we should.
0: Um, thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, You can find us on Facebook and Twitter and be sure to hit us up on social media and the comments, wherever you found this posted and let us know, you know, what's inspiring you. What are your inspiration points? And uh, if there's are anything that we can use, we uh, may even put them on the show. Also, wherever you found this podcast, if you can leave us a very nice review we would appreciate it it helps us stay up and stay relevant and we really would like to keep doing this and you know it's all for you and us okay it's for us but
1: <laughs> we you get you get already here i was about to i say. i knew you would i knew you would i headed you off at the past <laughs> yeah, this is about me i don't know what you guys yeah. are talking about but
0: yeah i think that's about it thank you guys for listening cool. and until next time stay inspired
1: bye <laughs>